Welcome to the Batphone Podcast, where we talk about combat sports, comic books, gaming, pop culture, and anything else my friends want to talk about. Hosted by yours truly, Nick Batman Hughes. Picking up the Batphone this week is our new friend, Zach Tregambi. Borlache! Oh, of course, of course. Hey, you going, Cage? <laughs> Not too bad, man. How are you? Oh, man, I'm pretty good. I just had, like, I just went to BFT. Yeah, my, my, you know, Patrick Lee. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So he's opened that gym up. So I just went one last cardio push for a comp tomorrow. <laughs> it's pretty awesome that, like, yeah, your your first jujitsu competition is happening tomorrow. I know. I'm excited. Like, it was, it's so different. I'm pretty chilled about it. I think I'm fine. Yeah, so I think, I think you're well prepared. Yeah. I think the 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 reason why it's awesome is because the timeline to get to that yeah. point has been a pretty interesting one. Yeah. Well, the neck, the neck's obviously been a bit of an issue, but it's come good. This like seeing Dave and you know, it's funny like all my like leading up to all my fights, I've had a pretty bad injury. Yeah. And it's been like real struggle to get through, and then like week of, it's come good. So. So I'm the absolute opposite, man. <laughs> like I'll be cool, and I'll get all my injuries at the beginning of camp. And then I'll get really sick and really injured right at the end and then just be like, I've got to get him out of there, otherwise I'm going to die. It's funny enough, I had strep throat two weeks before twice because, yeah, I mean, you just, you know what it's like. You're so compromised and like eating so little and like, I don't think it's obviously having low body fat as well and just everything, you know? Yeah, hormonal imbalances Mm. from low body fat as well. You're just not producing enough. And eventually, like I've been doing a lot of research into it recently about leptin Mm. production and leptin reception as well. The the hormones and the way that you're like... um, You will produce a lot of leptin if you've got a lot of body fat. Yeah. But uh, that just signifies your body to make a metabolic response uh it increases exponentially it doesn't increase uh like if i have three units of leptin because i've got this amount of body fat on me and then i double the amount of body fat i have i don't have six units of leptin. yeah i've got like a bajillion yeah so you just flood your brain and you, your body and your brain can't receive that leptin response anymore so it doesn't create a metabolic response so what happens is the more we cut weight and then put on fat after and we have those acute like uh, pendulum swings, the less we are actually able to elicit a metabolic response when we need it. Maybe that's why I just completely ruined myself because I'm the worst of getting like skinny and then fat. Well, <laughs> I think what fat. I'm getting to is like, I think that's what everyone has done. Yeah. I think that's the major issue of why people have this issue, but we Let's talk about science at the beginning. Science. science. Everyone's already switched. (laughs) I'm a doctor. Yeah. Don't listen to me. It's like Um, research that I've done. This could only be second or third or fourth hand information. I think it's all fighters have a pretty unhealthy fucking relationship with food though, don't they? Like any any athlete that has competed in a weight class based sport has a pretty dysfunctional relationship with food. I still reckon I got the world record for losing a six pack. Like after every fight, KFC, bro, the next day. Yeah, but it's like, (laughs) take it all away, right? Take away fighting and take away that motivation to be lean and all that kind of shit. What is now your motivation to have good nutrition? Mm. Is having good health, a good life and being around for your family, is that actually motivating enough for you? It is now that I'm getting older. I'm thinking about my mortality a lot more. In the last couple of years, I'm really like, all right. I want to maintain some consistency in my diet and my life and my balance because I know how much my energy levels, like even if I go out and get drunk on the weekend now, it takes me so much longer to recover. Of course. But even even yourself, you know, you're still fighting. You're still looking to compete. When you're not, like I'm the only person from Trinity Mm. who's ever successfully retired officially. Yeah. That's a 
whack statement. Nah. Do you know what I mean? It's hard for a competitor like you as yeah. well. But when when you really are faced with no prospects, no, mm. none at all to compete off your own back, what is motivating you to stay healthy? When you're faced with that void, now you've got to fill it. So you've got to make your own. I guess you would still have little fitness goals. You would say yourself, wouldn't you? But I have a standard that I want to yeah. uphold because I know that it has a, a, a follow-on effect yeah. that is devastating in my life. I've, I've now had to deal with all of those ridiculous cycles mm. that I was partaking in as an athlete. Yeah. So I had a dysfunctional relationship to eating, but I was still using that as fuel. Yeah. And you could justify the binge purge cycle that you're partaking in because you're acutely working towards an event that you have to make a weight at. Yeah. And when the entire context of your eating is going down, like I'm yeah. cutting weight or I'm coming back up mm-hmm. in weight, there's no homeostasis. Yeah. And what it does to your hormones and what it does to your body is just ridiculous. And that's why I've done so much research now on what this actually is and how you can like make pillars and posts in your life to well, it's about holding yourself accountable, isn't it? Yeah, I want to set a level where I want to maintain that level now because, like, I've yo-yoed too much. Yeah. And it's real hard. Like, after I, because I had a back injury last year, I tore my, I tore a muscle in my lumbar, and then I was out for three months, man. I just ate. I yeah. Did, like, did nothing. I put on, like, I got up to over 100 kilos again last year. And then I lost that. And, like, so putting on 23 kilos in a year and then losing yeah. that is a lot of fluctuation in my body. Well, emotional eating is emotional eating, yeah, and a lot right. of us are prone to it. But I think what it comes down to is motive. Mm. Like, why am I now partaking in this specific nutrition regime that I am? Like, why am I intermittent fasting? Why am I cutting refined sugars out of my diet? Uh, why am I trying to introduce more fermented foods? All of, all of these things, like, you have to do this and you have to find this information off of your own back. The reason why I'm doing it is because if I'm, I've, I've faced mm. down pain yeah. in an everyday pain. Because I was riddled with injuries. And when you're in the moment, again, you'll justify that pain because you know you're working towards an end goal of a competitive performance, right? Mm. So I'll just get through this fight and I'll deal with the pain later, Later. right? I'm at the later stage. I'm later. You know what I mean? So I'm dealing with it now. And man, it's so empowering for you to go out on your own back and to study and research mm. and find this information that can directly aid your situation and, and everyone will get there. Well, I stumbled upon intermittent fasting a few mm. years ago. I love it because it, it's discipline at the same time, you know, yeah. like, and it help, it really helps me. And like a lot of what I eat is like anti-inflammatory foods because like, yeah. it's just, it's just, I don't really like taking, yeah. you know, pills and yeah. like anti-inflammatories. Like, you know, sometimes you have to, but... Yeah, for me, it's just, yeah, it's just looking and finding what works for you in life, you know. It is about what works for you and because that, and like that is the reason why there's so much conflicting information exactly. out there is because what works for you might not work for other people. Like inflammation, for example, is a huge deal for me because I'm so riddled with injuries. <laughs> but inflammation is also a, a necessary part of training. Your of body needs stress and inflammation to create to grow. Adap- adaptive yeah. responses. Yeah, so you can't just like eradicate nah. stress from your being, from your life. But intermittent fasting, again, you can do it wrong. Mm. You can do it really wrong and just KO your metabolism oh, yeah. real bad. You really need to sustain yourself nutritionally in that eight hours for your next 16 hour yeah. fast. And people just, I know people that do it and then they just gorge or like they'll eat yeah, a pie. It or, doesn't work. Yeah, yeah, it still has to be fuel. The, be the most food. important and disciplined moment you can have in your fast is the way that you break your fast. 100%. And I've um, gone up and down with it. Obviously, I, you know, I used to have like uh, berries and spinach mm. and things yeah. like that. And, uh, those uh, like uh, phytofibers, they weren't working well for me 
the fructose in blueberries was spiking insulin, so I'd get immediately hungry. I'm like, what the hell's going on? But I need this meal to have energy to train. I'm like, mm-hmm. stop. I need fats to work on as fuel. Mm-hmm. I'm now more fat adapted than anything else. Eggs and avocado, I have a lot to break my fast. Yeah, I, I use bone broth to break my fast. Oh, awesome. I, I either have straight aminos to break my fast or I have bone broth to, to break my fast. And it means that um, the, the collagen in the broth helps my stomach. I'm, mm. I'm really the next step for me is to make sure that my gut health is on par with the rest of my body. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I have probiotics. I do, but it's fermented foods. Yeah, just I'm having uh, sauerkraut and kimchi and yeah. apple cider vinegar and yeah. black tea and things like this, all within the right time frame and mm. timing windows. Like if you really get into it, and the more you partake in intermittent fasting and research mm. when to have what. It just helps you so much. And the only thing that's going to make you do it more is feel better. And they've, they've started to look at like autography and like damaging, like there's links for autography damaging, like getting rid of cancer cells. There's yeah. Like, like, build on that. Obviously it's a pretty new form of like Yeah. Science, look, so. autophagy is an old science, but yeah. the usage of it is new science, mm. like cellular shedding and reproduction and the, um, the sort of the coaxing of that process to occur readily on a more steady basis and your body's ability to actually do it on a regular basis is uh, that's what intermittent fasting is all yeah. about but again I have non-fasted days mm-hmm. I, I like that I give myself a day yeah. off to reset everything you, you have to it's yeah. incredibly important because like anything there's diminishing returns and, you, and the only way that your body progresses at any rate you really progress at all yeah. is through adaption 100% um, I think you can take that lesson to life in general 100% yeah. adaption is how it goes yeah. um, actually what I was saying before with uh, breaking my fast with aminos and mm-hmm. bone broth that's uh something that I've come across with in the last year because I was having issues. But the other thing that it does is having that ready, readily available amino profile, it means that any protein that you intake, say like after you train, is ready to be synthesized mm. a little bit quicker. It, it does a little bit of the adaption for you, but not all of it. So it has like dual roles that it plays. In so how often do you eat before, like how, what's your time frame before training do you eat? So I break my fast at either four o'clock or five o'clock mm-hmm. every day. Yeah. And then like the first meal that I'll have will be bone broth and I'll have some... AM? No, no, no. Uh, PM. PM. Yeah, yeah PM. Um, so I do a pretty hard fast yeah. every every day. Uh, I'll break it with bone broth and I'll break it with uh, my vitamins. So mm-hmm. like vitamin D, yeah. zinc, magnesium, yeah. vitamin B12. All the good stuff. Um, and shortly after that, I'll likely have some sort of uh, turmeric drink, mm. whether it's a form of jamu or turmeric with apple cider vinegar, ginger, and chili, just I because I need my like metabolism yeah. to fire and kick over. Um, after that, 45 to an hour after that, I'll have an avocado with some sesame seeds and a coconut drink, mm-hmm. and that is essentially my pre-workout. Okay. Uh, with that meal, like I like a smoothie or just like no, 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 itself, just yeah. by itself. With that meal, I do like to have before you speak coffee. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've been having Octane recently because it has the carnitine profile as well, which is excellent for me because I'm not having tons of red meat. Mm. So that, as a Kickstarter, to that's my pre-workout yeah. meal, um, utilizing the fats in the avocado as a fuel source, and then the sesamol in the sesame seeds to help my body train how to use those fats as a fuel source really, really helps. Um, after training is when I'll have my protein meal and my vegetable meal, which is generally, you know, if I have, uh, you know, 
very like lean meats. I like pork. I like tuna. I like uh, salmon. I I really like you know turkey and stuff yeah. like that. I don't have a lot of red meat. I don't have a lot of chicken now. Yeah. Probably probably should have more chicken. I love uh, fish. Yeah, fish is great, especially if you're fasting. Because the omegas in it as well. Yeah. It's so have it usually with broccoli, broccolini, cauliflower, or some sort of broccoli. So you don't have many like complex carbs or anything. No, like just uh, maybe sweet potato yeah. as well. Sweet potato is great for me mm. personally. Um, the a meal that I might have after that if I'm feeling really low is like some form of crushed nuts and pepitas mm. and uh, maybe even some MCT, some coconut oil with that. So it's like a. a a good nutrient profile, but a nutrient dense profile. It's not going to hammer into my stomach. And usually with dinner as well, I have kimchi or sauerkraut. Last thing I'll have is like a maybe a magnesium reset, like an adrenal reset. Yeah. Um, from before you speak as well, and I usually have my fish oils around that time. Okay, so um, you have all that after the meal. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I'm trying to find, like figure out the balance of taking my vitamins because I know you don't want me to take them on an empty stomach. So I usually eat yeah. something, and then I'll take them on my like, vitamin B. See and all that first, magnesium, and then I'll take, I've got turmeric yeah. tablets, I'll take them after another meal. So it's just, yeah, it's just quite a balance really, isn't it? It is. Yeah. I feel like bone broth does help. Mm. It helps with the breaking of the fast and then introducing uh, your vitamins after that. Because especially if you're, if you have like pink salt as well, mm. you have like a really good um, mineral intake before you intake your vitamins as well. David would hate me if I'm uh, cooking up bone broth. My, <laughs> my vegan girlfriend just staying with me. She's like, what are you fucking doing? It stinks. <laughs> so now everyone knows exactly what I eat. <laughs> but there I don't do it on Wednesday. I don't do it on Saturday. I have pun and ice cream. Yeah. I have, you know, obviously everyone's seen all the Jack, treats, all the, the Jackie, Jackie made and stuff like uh, that. Yeah. So I'm not without my, uh, my, my, my oh, life is to be enjoyed as well. You still have to enjoy it. Stuff. Yeah. yeah, and people people aid you in that process. Yeah, 100%. So, I mean, as we said before, I mean, it's all an adaptive process. It's mm. all an adaption, and you learn through time and experience. And I mean, this is sort of like the major theme of why I really wanted to have you on the podcast. Mm. Obviously, you know, you have an extensive experience in Muay Thai, and that that was one of the first things that you gravitated towards in the martial arts. And you spent a long time uh, pursuing that pathway and you've now made a transition to becoming an MMA athlete. And I'm very thankful that you tr chose Trinity MMA to do that. You've been very impressive in your time here. Obviously, you understand things like respect, humility, work. You you've been like a an open book when it comes to learning techniques and applying techniques. And I think you've come to a lot of realizations and understanding about mixed martial arts and wrestling and mm. grappling in general since you've been here. And you've liked those realizations. Uh, but you're also a great contributor. You're, you're here to give back to the people that are around you. And again, that's the mark of experience who's someone who's been involved mm. in martial arts for quite some time. Uh, and in and around the scene as well. I mean, you're half a, you're a, a co-host on Gorilla Cast, yeah. and you've done commentary work on Knees of Fury as well. It's all these weird little things. Like I've always thought, like years ago, like I mean, could a commentator show one? And they're just like, you know, when you think about things and then they manifest. Yeah. Sometimes it's like, ah, it's just funny how life comes comes around for a second. But yeah, I mean, I've I've been obsessed with martial arts since I since I was a kid, really. Um, since I used to watch Dragon Ball Z, that's what started it all for me. <laughs> But then, yeah, I was like, no, I guess it started. I was pretty overweight, teenager. Mm -hmm. It was always like a fan, man. I was watching UFC like back when Tito was the champ. Mm. I'm going to probably get a bit of hate for this, but I was a Tito fan back in the day. Everyone was a Tito fan. <laughs> Tito slamming Guy Metzger oh, and having classics with Frank Shamrock. Evan, when he put Evan Tanner out. Oh, my uh, gosh. 
God, poor Ken Shamrock. How old was Ken Shamrock when he was having those fights? He would have been in his late forties. Kenny was probably not at the point where he should have been fighting. Yeah. Frank was always the one. Yeah, Frank was the man. Frank taught Tito. Did he retire from lack of competition? Likely. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty sure, because he smashed Tito and then retired, didn't he? Dude, he was very ahead of his time, man. Mm. I always say like one of the first submissions I ever learned was Frank Shamrock teaching a heel hook. Yeah. Um, Frank Shamrock did a tour across Australia. And he had a seminar at ABS Academy. What year was this? Oh, man. <laughs> this could have still been in the 90s. It yeah, could have been wow. 99. It could have been 2000, 2001, 2002. That's awesome. Latest it could have been was 2003. Yeah. Latest. It couldn't have been any... So at least 18 years ago. Yeah, it was a very long time ago. Um, but it was the first time I'd ever seen that type mm. of thing. Yeah. Well, they were the first ones to slap on leg locks, really, and have a competition, weren't they, really? Well, they, they had a Pancrase influence. Mm. They had a Pancration influence, which was a catch wrestling influence, yeah. which was a very, you know, Japanese thing to do at that point in time. But it's not like catch wrestling didn't disperse from, you know, every nation. Every nation has had wrestling, and then you add submission processes to wrestling. Now you've got catch wrestling. Those old Pancrase fighters went like the Shamrocks versus Baz Rutten. Dude, I love watching old Pancras like Pancras videos of Baz Rutten just like smashing everyone with like liver palm strikes. Dude, some of those fights, I mean, I went back and watched uh, the Japan Open, the Japan Ballet Tudor Open. They were ruthless. One or two, you know, I'd say probably yeah, seventy to seventy-five percent of those guys are just trash. But like twenty-five percent, like you know, there's like four guys in there who are just astronomically ahead of their time, and you watch it and you're just like, how? Are they not more well known and renowned? But they are. They just become instructors and coaches yeah. and stuff like that. And you just get these little gems, man. These little diamonds in the rough who are like working as um, you know young boys in uh, in the Japan pro wrestling scene behind the scenes, and they're just like getting absolutely poleaxed by the training system of like Antonio Inoki <laughs> when like Frank Gotch went over and made them do all like serious catch wrestling shit. Was Inoki the one that had that match with Muhammad Ali? Yes, and he I was. stomped his knees out? Yeah, yeah. Antonio Inoki was, yeah. you know... Is, is he owner of New Japan Pro? Or like one of the... No, he's no. not. Um, he is the most famous and the most well-known yeah. Japanese professional wrestler of all time. And he was the one who worked directly under Frank Gotch when yeah. Frank Gotch went back to Japan. And they together created the, the new school mentality that dispersed throughout the entire Japanese pro wrestling scene, which was catch wrestling hard yeah. strong style wrestling Impressive. I mean it has its own uh, lineage now mm. and it has its own sort of offshoots like King's Road style and this kind of stuff I'd go on about this forever <laughs> but um, that's where it started that's yeah. where it began and it's continued it really continued that ethos is still around today Man, you get me talking about stupid topics and I'll never stop. Like, who, who the hell is listening to this going, oh yeah, let's talk let's about... Let's watch old Pancrase. And, <laughs> but then, like, Pancrase really was like, you know, that transition really into Pride. And, like, how many good fights were back in Pride? Like, Pride was amazing, yeah, Just big, juiced-up heavyways. Just, just freaks. Yeah. Freak show maximum. Crow Cop, Bob Sapp. Like, you want to talk about <laughs> freak shows. And I was watching Crow Cop and Bob Sapp. How big was Bob Sapp, man? Like... Yeah. What, 6'6", 350 pounds? I think something that Pride did really well is like they had their tournaments. Mm. They had their like prestige tournaments that you knew these were the absolute best guys. And then outside of that, they had freak show yeah. fights, you know, because that's Japan. It's like the biggest dude versus the smallest guy. That's what they wanted to see. When I watched the other, I watched the original 
heavyweight tournament, Mark Holden wins when he beats Igor Vitrochin by the knees to the head in the fight. I watched the whole tournament the other day. I was like, fuck, man, that was still pretty, like, wrestling dominance. Yeah. Was yeah. such a, like, strong form at the start of MMA. Like, they were elite-level wrestlers. Yeah, man. They were, you know, NCAA champions and world-level wrestlers who were transitioning to a sport that had never seen that type of wrestling before. Dudes like uh, Coleman, Randleman, the Schultz. Yeah, he, he had some Mark MMA. Schultz. Mark Schultz had some MMA fights, didn't he? Yeah. Dudes like that. I wish Dan Gable trained. Mark Kerr. Yeah, as Mark well. Kerr. Kerr. He was smashing yeah. everyone. Wasn't Remember the Smashing Machine yeah. documentary? Oh my god. He, yeah, because they changed that, didn't they? Yeah. Well, it, the documentary was about him and him training with Buzz Rudin yeah. and the lead up to that tournament, and then they realized that he had some really big issues in terms of you know uh, addiction and yeah. dependency. And then it sort of became more about Mark Coleman, sort of mm. midway through the documentary. That's a sad. Mark Coleman's a pretty sad story, man. I was watching his uh, like. After the, after the title, like, where are they now thing, you know, that, yeah, man, he's got some injuries. All those old wrestlers, man, they're pretty pretty messed up now. Dan Gable's pretty good, though. Like, he doesn't seem to be too... He's an eccentric motherfucker. <laughs> like, oh, my God. Like, have you heard him speak yeah. for, like... You let him go for 45 minutes just by himself, and he will say some shit. So I wasn't asking, because obviously we were doing the technique the other day. Did he create the Gable grip? Or did the he... Gable grip is pretty much... He is renowned for asserting that if you yeah. remove your thumbs from... The gripping process it create it takes away a weak link. Yeah. So that process is his process. Yeah. Yeah. And so he's he's an amazing you know amazing innovator mm. in the world of, of wrestling collegiate wrestling um, and folk style wrestling as mm. well. But a, a lot of these guys that we're talking about they have like hyper intense addictive personalities. You look at someone like George Saint Pierre he's exactly the same. Even like Nate Diaz and Nick Diaz. I remember those guys. There was like a it was the countdown shows that happened before Nick Diaz fought GSP. <laughs> that was and a good build-up. <laughs> they, they were the best ones. They really gave you some insight mm. into the true contrast between the the styles and the mentalities going in. But like, still hyper elite, still amazing, both guys. But they were both obsessed. They were just obsessed in different ways. And mm. it manifested in different ways in their personality. I remember one thing that Nick Diaz said that really resonated with me because he comes from a triathlete background, mm. a swimming background. He was like, look, man, if you want to be good at this shit, you got to hate it. Yeah, that's right. Like, ah, I, I understand. Like, you've got to do it so much and be so obsessed that it's like the last thing you want to do yeah. every day. When I was just doing that workout, my business, because there was like six cardio sessions, just like, why do you always look angry when you're training like cardio? Like, because I have to go, like, if I want to push myself, I go to a dark place where I'm not yeah. enjoying it. Like, and... You know, like, I think all fighters know how yeah. to, like, get to that real... There must be a reason why we're all here. Yeah. You know, we all share in this idea of obsession and addiction, and then we all, like, help each other mm. through the support process of weaning ourselves off of Well, it. I wish I found martial arts before I found <laughs> actual drugs and went through my addiction. Well, that's it, man. I mean, like, one of the things we have to talk yeah. about is why you found martial arts in the first place. Yeah, well, we'll go... Yeah, we'll go back there. So... Basically starts so yeah, I'm going through high school, all that shit. I had a pretty strained relationship with my dad. We're all good now, but you know, he's got his own issues with alcohol and you know, I'm just in that six like fifteen, sixteen yearning for like a role model that I didn't really have, you yeah. know, like I think I, I think we've talked about it, you oh, can yeah. relate to that. And then I started hanging out with like, you know, with a pretty older crew. Mm. And then, like, you know, meth was a pretty big yeah. thing back then. So, like, you know, you're 15, brain's underdeveloped, you don't know what you're doing. <laughs> I was like, yeah, that'll be fun. 
And the first three years were fun, man. Like, I just, you know, it was just a weekend thing, partying. But in this whole process, I hadn't emotionally, I hadn't developed emotionally enough to look after myself. You know, I hadn't, hadn't developed the toolbox needed to process emotions, look at things, you know, introspectively and actually be like, all right, this is sad. It's okay to be sad. Every time I'd feel emotions, I'd go and get high. Yeah. Anytime I'd feel anything, I'd go and get high. And it was at the point where it was just like, it got real, real bad for about, I was in a pretty bad relationship. We split up. Then I had six months, I was sober, I think. Then I relapsed and that was probably like the lowest I'd been. Um, and then it all ended up with me trying to take my own life. Putting my family through hell, all this jazz, like, and I, it was just a real, it was a real point in my life where it was like, all right, I've got two choices really, like, you know, I give up now, but I felt, kind of felt this like sense of like, all right, I can completely rebuild my life. Mm. Luckily, just before all this, I started training kickboxing. Yeah. Or Muay Thai. It was about six months before this, before my last relapse. And that, just having that a couple times a week was enough to be like, nah, there's another side of this. And also putting my family through, ah, oh man, I've got such a good family and friends. And it was just, I was seeing like so much hurt. Mm. And I was just, I'm, I'm a big enough person to admit when I'm fucking things up. And like, I just really took a hard look at myself and I was just like, nah, this is not what I want to do, man. Like, it's not what I want to be in my life. I, I did it all by myself. I didn't go to rehab. I didn't go to a psychologist. I, didn't, yeah. and I just, you know, if you want something bad enough, you can do it. And yeah, I just started to rebuild my life slowly. The first six months were real difficult because obviously you, using such a powerful stimulant like methamphetamine for a long period of time really rewires your dopamine system. So it was a real struggle to gain natural endorphins and happiness again. Did you find an inclination to try and replace? I replaced it with training. Yeah. 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 Which still to this day is my healthy obsession. Yeah. yeah. And, that's, and that's very common. Yeah. 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 You know, there's like guys like Paul McGee and there's yeah. like you have um, Matt Brown. Like, and I believe like, you know, there's a lot of, because I'm obviously studying mental health now and drug and alcohol. And there's a lot of things where it's like, ah, oh, people shouldn't trade exercise as another addiction, but I think it's a healthy addiction. And anything that's healthy, I think is, is a positive. And I also, I didn't know anything about nutrition or like energy systems, yeah. looking after you. I just didn't know anything. Yeah. I wasn't educated when I was young. And then obviously in this beautiful, you know, sport, and like you know, so many good people and then yeah. you learn and then uh, you find a community of like-minded people. Yeah, exactly. Like, doors open up for you. We sound so cliched yeah. when we say this type of thing, but on a real base level, this is it. Martial arts saved my life. It's simple as that. So many people go through the exact yeah. same thing. You've got to find motivation. You've got to find people that are like you. Uh, I understand. Yeah. I understand this. I and mean, you're, you're working with... Um, you know, people suffering through addiction yeah. at the moment. And I've seen a lot of kids come through who have lived a life similar to mine, similar mm -hmm. to yours. Like I hear these experiences and I'm like, I know we're yeah. doing that. Like what at the end of the day are you doing? You're going from one car park smashing bongs to, yeah. you know, your mates ring you up and they're like, oh, we're at this car park. Okay, drive over to that car park, smash more bongs. Maybe you go for a skate. Maybe you get in a fight. Maybe you're link, hooking up more, <laughs> more bags, yeah. going to a party. And then what would happen is like all of those groups back in the day that were like doof groups, like just smoking weed, <clears throat> one or two of them become meth groups. Yeah, that's what happened right? Yeah, exactly. And it's just so prolific, yeah. man. It keeps happening. And then it's a seamless made, transition. As it well. is. It you is. It notice. was because a lot of these, a lot of you know. But then there's party culture as well. Of I know course. that rugby had party yeah. culture, and like with rugby, it was like uh, we're, you're playing club rugby, right? Mm -hmm. So 
you have one school, the school that I went to, and then you've got another school, the school that some other kids from your club go to, and we're public schools. Yeah. So you're on the public school network of parties that were happening from Thursday to Sunday, but then some other kids that you play club rugby with, they're from private schools. So now you're on the private school the private schools, you know, and they've got the cash, yeah, they've, got, they've the got the cash and the drug, you know, the, the A-class drug yeah, stuff. Right. That the then, then you get exposed to things like ecstasy yeah. and shit like that. And it's like, when you look back at it, you're like, did that really happen? Yeah. Was that really what was happening? But it was more of a natural process. I'm not saying that that's everyone and that's mm. all that I did. Like, yeah. I just smashed myself on all this <laughs> shit. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that's actually really common mm. and it's almost normal. It almost feels natural and normal when you're going through it to go through it. You don't question it. Well, it's socially you know, ingrained. It is. It is. Uh, it's, it's, I see it so much now working with like addicts that are like like working in the rehab trying to get off. It's just yeah. like, it's fucking everywhere. Like, and, and I think the thing that I've said over and over and over <clears throat> That is, it feels like a cop out, but it's not. Is it just happens mm. when you're in that moment in time? You know, these kids that I've been talking to, they're not thinking altruistically, like, oh, it's this pinpoint time in my life where I'm going through this, and then, you know, if this one thing will lead to the next thing, will lead to the next thing, they're just having fun, yeah. man. They're just having fun looking around, all their mates, the people that they respect and like, they like them for different reasons. But some of the things I've, I've told them and the advice that I've given them, because you can say whatever you want to fucking say. 18 year olds, but they're not going to listen to anyone. And they're going to do what they're <laughs> going to do. And you know what? They should, because yeah. the only way they're going to get it is if they get it themselves. Well, yeah. What I've said to them is, you, it's like, I see them in the academy. Mm. They're coming into the academy. And I'm like, are your mates, the people that you put on a pedestal, are they like you? Mm. Are they as good as you? Are they grinding? Mm. Are they hustling? Are they working hard? Are they doing jiu-jitsu? Are they doing Muay Thai? Are they good fighters? Yeah. Are they good wrestlers? Like, do they like the things that you like? Are they as good as you? Mm. Because they place these people above them on a pedestal, maybe because they're dealers. Mm. Maybe because, you know, they can, you know, sink massive cones yeah. or do massive amounts of drugs. Shit you, that, but that's what they think yeah. is cool, right? So I turn it on them and like, are they as good as you? Nah. And man, some of the cogs that start turning in these kids' heads when you give it to them like that, like you're better than these motherfuckers. I got one mate from like high school, and we're still mates to this day, and he was one that tried to like help me. Like, I changed my number mm. when I got when I got off ice. I changed my number, changed up everything. Didn't speak that. I mean, this is six years. Mm. You know? I I know people from that group, man, that are still fucking doing the same shit. But I want to progress in my life. Yeah, you know, I'm always looking for the next thing. The group, the group of people I surround myself with, like unless they're like minded and are moving forward, man, like. Nothing against people, but I'll just leave them. Because Again, I, that's one of the yeah. hardest things to do. Dude, I quit alcohol and mm. everything when I turned 18. Yeah. And I lost a team of friends. Yeah, of course. And it was the best decision I ever made in my life because I couldn't handle my shit. Mm. I couldn't handle it, man. I was not the type of person who should be drinking alcohol. It's because people don't like you moving forward. They like you exactly the same level as them. That, but they like you if you're good, yeah. but like them. Yeah. You know? So to them, I was like, they would put me on a pedestal, like, look, he can do all the shit that we're yeah. doing, and he's a high achiever, you know, he can still fight, he can still do this and that, whilst I'm thinking, like, man, these guys, like, do they have my back? Yeah. Do they really have my best interests in mind, or are they just, they just want me to be on their level exactly. and just wallowing with them, but, yeah, eventually your self-belief and self-confidence and understanding that there is a next step for mm. you, if you get to that point, and you can bust through that door, then your life starts. I don't even believe, really when I sit there and think about it, I don't even believe I became conscious, mm. really until I was about 21 or 22. 
I was just going on the whim of life, man, like just going with the flow, doing whatever. As you said, going on this party, that party. I didn't really even start like thinking about life and all this stuff until I was about 21, 22. Yeah. That's I, I think that's with, I think males develop, but it's probably because I was fucking spent six years just off my head. Yeah. <laughs> to be honest. Like, <laughs> Like, yeah, you're not questioning anything. Nah, you're not oh, introspecting. Like, nah. like meth is like a pretty confidence-boosting <laughs> type drug. Like, like when you when you see people cracked out walking yeah. down the street on Hindley Street, they're not they're pretty confident. Yeah, like, yeah, like, they're like, what are they mumbling? They're like, fuck you, fuck this guy, fuck that guy. I'm the best. Like, and if I wasn't on meth, I was like, I was smoking weed. And if I wasn't smoking weed, I was doing side out. So it's just there. Yeah, I don't know, man. It took it took a while to like really. Figure my shit out, I guess, but I'm still figuring my shit out. Like I'm you do. perfect now. You, but. you introspect and you and it's like another one of those cliche things, but like you assess the folly of your way. Yeah, hundred percent. Not not just um, not just functionally and the things that you did, but internally and the way that you thought, and the way that you thought about yourself and your, and the things around you and the people around you. Like really assessing that function is really difficult to do. I set aside time every day to like look at things I want to improve for tomorrow, psychoanalyze what I've done wrong, all this stuff. Every day I'm trying to be a little bit, I think if you can just do a little bit better than you did yesterday, obviously some days you're going to have two steps back. I'm still a fucking idiot. So I still do dumb <laughs> shit all the time, but I'm trying, I just try to be better every day. And that's, I think that's all we can do as humans. Yeah. Really. And I think you're doing it really well. And I think the outcome of mm-hmm. those efforts is where you're at right now. Yeah. Like you spent a long time in Muay Thai and now you want more. Mm. You want to progress. You're looking for the next thing, the next step that you can take as a human. And that brought you in the doors of Trinity MMA. But before we get to that, talk to me a little bit about, uh, your Muay Thai experience and how you felt through that process because then we can probably get to where you are mm. now about making the decision to switch well I started I started Aruda in 2014 end of 2014 I was 123 kilos so I wasn't wasn't a skinny boy <laughs> he's a big boy <laughs> so yeah I like what a lot I, I like to eat food still do but so yeah start off first like 23 kilos and Come off so quickly. I was just doing jiu-jitsu. I did jiu-jitsu for like three months in the middle of summer, so that probably helped all the weight off. And you know what Leo's like. <laughs> Leo, Leo doesn't train soft, so... And then, like, he threw threw me um, threw me to the walls for that first four months. Then I did, like, one more time. I'm like, oh, no. This I like, yeah, I like this. Yeah, this is what I like. So then, yeah, it was just... First couple of years, just me getting my ass kicked because obviously I had no... You know, everyone thinks they can fight until they actually start training, and then you're like, fuck, I'm absolutely useless. <laughs> But it was really good. Like I had a really good bond with Patrick Lim. Yeah. Um, and through these years at Aruda, I met Luke Leadham and Patrick Brown, um, who ended up being my coaches in the next stage. We just met as friends. You know how, you know, yeah. life life brings the people that you yeah. need to bring. This is one of those things. So along this way, and then I eventually had my first fight at Aruda. I was the first person to fight for Aruda. That was my goal. First person to have a kickboxing fight there or Muay Thai fight. I was still enjoying it, but I, I'm an avid traveler. I backpacked Europe and I'd made the decision that I was going to move overseas. Wow. So I had my, fir- had my first fight and then a month later I moved to Spain for 10 months. So yeah, that was, yeah, I was still training in Spain, but obviously, I mean, I was living in Ibiza, so you can't, you can imagine I wasn't training all the time, but <laughs> different type of training, different type of training. <laughs> but still every day, you know, swimming and like, yeah, I was just immersed myself in the culture. Like it was a fucking, it was an amazing year. Come back. I was actually like by the end of the by the end of year, I was pretty homesick, and I was a bit, you know, I was I would say I was quite depressed to be honest. And I hadn't really. It was all good for the first six seven months, but then you know it gets pretty lonely. Moved back to Australia straight to a fight prep. 
wasn't really mentally there for my second <laughs> fight, man. Like, honestly, getting all through it, like, I was sort of working myself out of, like, a pretty bad mental funk. Had my second fight and probably the most challenging but exciting experience of my life because I was shouted to my second opponent. He tried to, like, murder me. <laughs> In that first round, like, he whooped the shit out of me, like... And I like had a few moments where I'm like, what the fuck am I even doing this shit? And then like, <laughs> it just kicks in. And I'm like, oh no, this is pretty fun. So like he won the first round. Second round, I dropped him and nearly finished him. And then third round, I had this massive drill. Dunk. I couldn't even lift my arms up. So I was just like survival. And that two minutes, man, it's amazing <laughs> how much you learn about yourself in that oh, two yeah. minutes. Because I've never been that tired in my life. And from that moment on, I'm like, every time I try for a fight, I want to be... I don't want to be like you're always gonna get tired, but I don't ever want to be that tired yeah, Being tired in a fight is one of the most terrifying things because you know you in your mind You know that you're tired and, you and he know, wasn't tired. Yeah, and you feel you feel them and you feel their energy yeah. And you feel them ascending and you understand the consequences and then it starts happening and you're like, There was two points. Yeah, but there's two points He had me in the corner his elbow and the shit out of my head and like I could see the refs coming in for eight counts and I'd just get a few good like big hooks in and then like it'd stop like just enough that I but I didn't quit and that was the main thing I looked away. I'm like I watched I'm like oh shit and I watched the fight back and I'm like, nah I didn't actually I fought the entire time. So I had that and then I fought again in no October of that year and I learned again like so that one I was I was overthinking the next fight, <laughs> I was too chilled because I didn't want to overthink and I probably wasn't aggressive enough. We were run one round each going to the third and I just didn't it was one sweep he got me with one sweep at the end and that was it that in Muay Thai sweeps count for heaps every fight can be different exactly. man you can have like barn burners where you're yeah. literally trying to end each other yeah. with every shot you throw and then you come up against a different type of opponent yeah. who's just technical understands the, understands the round systems understands the scoring systems and when you're fighting in a fight that has two minute rounds yeah. it's one or two decisive actions that of technique it that can score you the entire round. And he he was coming off a couple of losses. He was a tough guy. I mean, I've watched his last couple of fights. He, yeah. And I, I, think, I feel like I stole that from him now. Like I know where he pushed the pace in that last minute, I can take that into, you know, my yeah. next show. But then, you know, I was nominated to get the fight and then I tore my back. Yeah. I was out three months, got fat, COVID happened. <laughs> and then I was sitting there after COVID. And, you know, I'd all work. Oh, actually, I'll take it back. The first exposure I had, I knew Mike Turner from Arita, but it was commentating the Trinity fights. Yeah. So I watched the Twins fight, yeah. watched um, Taylor fight. Jake Chenoweth. Jake Chenoweth, when he murdered that dude, put him in the shadow realm. That was still, it's one of the scariest knockouts I've ever seen. Right? I mean, that, that was a, a level of conflict and emotion for me that I've never felt because of the story of Jake Chenoweth yeah. up to that point, coming back from multiple surgeries and yeah. neck surgery, which we... And that was touch and go. And then, yeah, when he did what he did, it was just such an excellent depiction of his overall skill and aptitude and capability. And he really deserved that coming out. But the that's, the type of knockout that he put on that guy, and I, I don't wish that upon anyone. That's martial arts, though. It can be the most beautiful artwork of a technique like he did with that step back overhand. But then also the violent consequences, unfortunately, sometimes. And like, you know, we cheered as commentators, like, yeah. and then it's like, ooh. And yeah. like, 
But I mean, I'm sure Jake would have been conflicted in that moment. Yeah, like, we, we all were. were. Yeah, yeah, we all were. Because it was a beautiful team. Yeah. Like, you know, but it's a point. I mean, that's the game we're playing. You know, yeah, it's a tough game. So I've watched all these guys. I'm like, man, there's something at this Trinity Club. Like, you know, like I was expecting everyone because I'm like, you know, you're grapplers and all these kickboxing dudes, and everyone comes out with stick technique. So like, you know, MMA is something I want to do. I, I will shout out to my my lovely amazing partner because she was the one that pushed me. Yeah. Because I was like complaining code. I'm like. It's not that I hated Muay Thai, I just have fallen out of love with the monotony yeah. of just get there, go for a run, skip, hit pads. Oh, look, you Muay know Thai I mean? is very specific. Yeah. There's a lot of tradition and culture ingrained within the way that you fight. There is nuance mm. and technique within those techniques itself, but not necessarily a ton of nuance from club to club to club. You know, it's this set style that you subscribe to, even in the way that you act within the within the ring itself like there's a lot of tradition in the way that you begin the match mm. there's a lot of tradition in the way that you're expected to stay in the center and trade it's not a footwork based you would art. see if you watch my fights you'd see like i've never really fit that square of like mm. Muay Thai. so that's why i feel like mma was always something that i mean mma is the most freedom of expression yeah I've it's seen. like the opposite right? yeah 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 and that's why you see a lot of our guys like Jake and Taylor mm. and Mason, they're all completely different. Yeah, 100%. And that's why I love MMA. And like, just coming here and just being like, all right, we're going to give you these fundamentals. This is the technique. Like, you're really good at this. You'll give us a technique and then you're like, all right, adapt it to your body type. Mm. Find your way to flow into it. And that was just, oh, it just blew my mind. Like, I'm grow- I've grown so much exponentially in this past year. It's just ridiculous. Like, and I've fallen, like, I've never enjoyed training as much mm. as when I've come to Trinity. Yeah. Well, from my perspective as, you know, as a coach, when you first came in, it was like, this is something that I want to try and do. Mm. This is something I want to learn about. So you just, you know, sponged up, opened yeah. the book, learned as many techniques as you could. But I saw something happening, which was the techniques that we were talking about. They really resonated with mm. you and you really understood what we were saying in the broader context of things. I know that you had been exposed to jujitsu in the past. You mm. hadn't had a lot of wrestling. So when I started explaining things in wrestling class about the mentality and the application of technique and the transferability of techniques Mm. from pure grappling to MMA, what works, what doesn't, why, the mentality behind wrestling, and then coming to the skills, MMA skills classes, Mm. whether it was, you know, skills grappling or skills cage work, and just seeing the shift in mentality that you have to take and what that looks like specifically within technique, how the distances change. Uh, how the motives change, how the intentions changes when you add in the variable of a timer, when you add in the variable of the rules and how things are scored. Um, so all of these techniques mm. that you learn in jiu-jitsu, or you learn in striking, you learn in wrestling, the, the combining of those techniques, but also the streamlining of those techniques to be a conducive to victory in this rule set. When you started to learn all of those things, it's like light bulb after light bulb after light bulb. And that heat ignited a passion for learning in you and a passion that led to progression. Mm. So your evolution as a fighter from going pure Muay Thai to I'm going to try to see how I feel in MMA coming into a gym like ours and, you know, trying your hand at jujitsu, trying your hand at wrestling to now being at the point where because you understood it so quickly and because it really clicked with you, you put a lot of energy and learning in the right areas. Mm. You asked me, hey, what do I need to do to get to MMA? And that's what I ask so many of our athletes to do is like make your intentions mm. known 
to the coaching staff and they will give you direct pathways to get better. And for you, it was a lot about cage defense, mm. learning the defensive systems so that you're not struggling, so that you're efficient. And then you can add that into your overall game plan. If someone does get through your staunch striking and they do take you down, you're not trying to sweep them. You're not necessarily resigning to play the jujitsu game. You're finding the cage. You're starting an efficient framing process to get up. Mm. You're multitasking. Is it frame? Is it wizard? Is it drag? Am Risk I getting- control, yeah. yeah. All of those things are in a cycle which makes you efficient, which makes you technically proficient, which means you're never struggling. And it's your energy systems on Exactly. You know, the first few times it's just like, fuck, get taken down. You use all your energy in this explosive, explosive movement to get back up and then you get back up and you're like, I can hear you like striving like, like, ah. Yeah. <laughs> and this is why, you know, even in the shadow work that mm. we're doing, I'll say something like, right, sprawl, 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 on your back on the yeah. ground, get straight back up. Okay, now defend the takedown without sprawling. Okay, um, I'll say on your back on the ground one more time. I'll say scramble to your feet, now up and jabbing. Yeah. And then I'll back that up with, now you've got to make this seem like in your body language that mm. none of that affected you. It's a poker face, isn't it? Sometimes, yeah. sometimes you can be fucking, but you've got to just push through. All of that grappling meant nothing, yeah. and there's no game plan or strategy that your opponent can put on you that's going to take you out of your structure. Yeah. And even when I was saying those things, like I've just essentially answered a question for mm. you, but I've I've seen you do that. Now you've been invited to the advanced MMA team, and you've been growing again in that environment, and you know the. The pathway that I'm outlining is the pathway that we ask everyone to partake in. Show up to classes, show consistency, skill and aptitude, um, show skill progression, state your intentions, um, be in, you know, work your way through and be invited to those advanced classes, mm. repeat the process again at a more elite level, and then things start to turn around on you. You must have a striking bout before you compete in MMA, you must have grappling matches before you compete in MMA which leads us to where we are now that's right where you're going to have your first grappling competition it's funny I'd set all these little goals out I never I never told you guys but like I'd be giving myself six months to make the fight team sparring <laughs> one year to make the advanced team and then like obviously grapple yeah. and like I've been ticking them off which is like you know you need goals man like, you, you do know, you know? but what, what you've done is not easy to do you've mm. done it very quickly and it does harken back to your understanding about learning systems and being involved in martial arts luckily I've watched time. and I've watched MMA for a long time yeah. and I'm, I'm able to like watch something and be like I see what you're doing there mm. I'm going to try that out like I can but I need to do stuff to learn. I'm like, you know, yeah. I've got real bad ADD brain. Like <laughs> sometimes when there's like a 20 minute explanation or something, I feel my brain just like. <laughs> How'd you feel the first time you wrestled? Like <sighs> yeah, wrestle, wrestle. Yeah. I like the grinding. Yeah. I like, I like it. You know, I'm yeah. I I like the I like the constant. You know, I'm stubborn, so I, like, yeah. I enjoy that process. Yeah, you kept. I was gonna say. I remember the first time you wrestled me. We weren't talking about it too much. <laughs> but, I got my ass kicked. <laughs> you, know, you kept coming back, you know, you kept getting up and moving forward, which is essentially a downfall, but I think like <laughs> my best and my worst quality is probably like my persistence to get yeah. beaten up. <laughs> man, it's it's been great having you and you it's know, been great being here, man. I'm so like privileged. I've, honestly I go home all the time and I I I'm sure my girlfriend's sick of hearing about all you guys. I'm like, Nick taught me this. I'm like, Ant taught me this. I've been real lucky with Ant, you know. Like, yeah, give me the time. Yeah, man, like, I want on ones. And it's just like, everyone here is amazing, man. Like, I've, I've been so happy. It's not like my other clubs. I love Aruda and I love Gorilla and I love all those people there. Um, I owe so much to Luke and Patty for all the stuff they taught me. There's nothing about, it's nothing personal, man. I just, nah. it's my journey. It's next. And this is what I've always wanted to do. And I feel that 
inside of myself that when I come here, it's actually like... And if it is, yeah. you know, if it is what you've always wanted to do and you've found a community of people mm. that you click with so well yeah. and it streamlined your progression and you're racing forward... It makes everything feel natural. Exactly. Why yeah. wouldn't you come back? It's all organic, man. Like, everything yeah. is just flowing and, like, you know, it's easy to learn when you're enjoying it and, like... Dude, yeah. you've clicked with our group. <laughs> we have some of the most ridiculous conversations. I can't bring up any topic. Like John Danaher and stuff we're talking about it as well. For however robotic and, and straight-laced he yeah. is, when they're in the academy, they're talking shit, man. Like we were talking shit about CRISPR the other day. <laughs> and I was, we're like talking about the genetic superhuman race oh, that the Chinese man. are currently creating. And I'm like, all I'll add to that right now is I really hope that the scientist in charge of CRISPR in China is female. Yeah. Because she she, she will like focus on the intellectual aspects of furthering their, their nation and race. If you leave it up to a male, you're gonna have a whole species of just super athletes with giant dogs. Huge dogs. <laughs> they might they might even just drop the athlete shit yeah. and just go like how big can we get our dicks without breaking China, our backs? Like we're Chinese with knee swingers just walking around. <laughs> Put the female in charge of the CRISPR project and you'll actually advance the race. Just put females in charge of everything. We're pretty dumb, man. Like, so much dumb shit I say to my missus, like, what are you saying? I'm like, you know, you're right. I'm just an idiot. I I used to think I was smart until I met Jackie and then, like, so, and she's like, look, you know, you're, you're autistic. The things, yeah. that you do, the things that you say in the academy, the thing, you know, the way your pattern recognition, all of this kind of shit, it's great. You're, you're absolutely fantastic. You're a savant in that way. I'm like, oh, that's really kind of you, yeah. Jackie. I really appreciate it. I put but, a lot of energy into it. And then she's like, no, 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 shut up. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is when you're at home and in social situations, you're fucking dropkick. Like you have literally no idea. Like, do you know how to wash a dish? Is this clean, Nick? Is this clean? Like, I'm like, look, I can't dispute currently that there's still grease on that plate. You might be correct in this. I have no chance, man. Dana's doing a master's in psychology. I'm fucked. Well, uh, <laughs> You're just getting ripped apart. Oh, every opportunity. We're both studying mental health, so like, but it's great for us because like, she's a support worker as well for child protective services, and like, you know, we bounce off each other yeah. and we can get because like, they can be pretty mentally like draining jobs at times. So it's really nice to have that. Depressor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or at least a level of understanding as 100%. well of what's going on. You know, I, I feel the same with Jackie. Yeah. Like, contrary to what people think, Jackie and I aren't getting home and studying tape every mm. night. Yeah. And I mean, there's times where we watch fights and we analyze and stuff like that, but we're not doing private after private after private. Jackie's a very quick learner. Mm. She applies herself to learning. She likes to learn in a designated time and a designated space. Like, if she wants a private, I'll take a private with her. But she does privates with. Jake. with Jake and she comes to every single yeah. class she can and she picks things up through context actually very similar to you mm. like she'll learn through context and there's goals that she wants to achieve um, she doesn't use me as like a crutch for her learning she doesn't need to some people do need to some people would uh, you know are slower learners and mm. they would need to go home and you know super analyze and do a lot of drilling movements and Jackie's just not that person I'm super excited to see Jackie Next fight as yeah, well because it's going to be amazing. We've kind of got that similar arc with our like yeah. training, you know. We're getting. I really hope she gets a match up in these. Well, I hope we both do. Yeah. Because yeah, be, I feel sorry for that girl that she fights. She's growing like exponentially. Now. Jackie's overall style and skill set mm. is so much more conducive to her body type and her natural movements and the additions that she's made with myself. The additions that she's made with. Jake are so specific and unique to her that she's going to come with a style. If there was a style that I could relay 
that she is fighting like now she's fighting like Wailing Chan. Yeah, like she's mean. Style. She's mean. Like she, I would not want to fight her if I was her weight class yeah. and, a, and a female. Like yeah. she's like, I'm just like, nah, fuck that. But like, was good though. She like, needs that. Level of yeah. She needs yeah. that outlet, and I need you know my robot man coaching. Yeah. <laughs> but we also need each other when yeah. we come home to not be that way. She doesn't need a robot boyfriend. Nah. I don't need a tyrannical girlfriend. <laughs> like we need to be in support of each other. Of course, hundred percent. It's the it's the main reason for a like supportive loving relationship. You need yeah. to be there, you know, to chill each other out, if anything. Yeah. Likely later today I'm gonna eat some, you know, Coco Frio or some Pana ice cream <laughs> and we're gonna play Donkey Kong. Pana ice cream is the shit, isn't it? Oh, oh, man, I love this it. Is too much. Which one's your favourite? I actually have to say that mint choc is my oh, favorite. It never was mint. I was never a person, mint. but it seems to be the one I keep coming back to. There's been some flavors in the past that got discontinued, like uh, peanut butter and mm. raspberry swell. That was really, Anything really with good. Peanut butter is so good. Um, but also the straight vanilla is absolutely excellent because I'll like get straight vanilla, put hazelnut pana topping on it, and then crush nuts, mm. and that's like. The salted caramel was good. Salted caramel was very good. The salted caramel sticks. Mm. Holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> Guess what's happening after this? Neither of us are training or coaching. We're just going to go eat part of I'm still fasting as well, so I'm going to stop talking about food. <laughs> you, know, I, you know, I'm not fasting today. I'm Wednesday and Saturday are non-fasted. And yeah, I usually have Sunday. I like to have Sunday off. Yeah. Just chill. I'll probably chill out after the comp tomorrow. Yeah. yeah. I've, been, I've been pretty strict. So, you know, I'll have some beers. Have some good food. Man, I can't believe you're doing a grappling competition. I know, I'm so excited, man. I'm so excited. I've just been really focusing on the cardio. Yeah. So I can think the whole time. That that was one thing again in Bone Mac that's like I learned is like if you're if you're tired you can't think. So I need to I want I just cardio is my number one always. Yeah. I mean having gone through the experience of being in a ring and mm. having people watch you, that's gonna that's gonna be the biggest thing yeah. that's gonna aid you tomorrow because that's the thing that shocks people yeah. the most, like <clears throat> transference from academy rolling to competition rolling. But the thing that will happen and I'm sorry, you can't avoid it, people are gonna feel way stronger than that yeah of course because they're just going to clamp on something and they're not going to let go it's going to be competitive and i'm gonna you know i've got your forearms are going to gas because you're going to be uh re-gripping them at a pace that's trying to match them or you might be the aggressor in that regard and just be like neck-tying six times as hard as you've ever necktied in your life uh, but you're going to go through that adrenaline dump again. You're going to go through the, the iron clinch. I haven't competed in anything for like Warm 18 months. Warm up your neck as yeah, hard as I just all every I'm getting up at 5 a.m. I'm going to warm it up <laughs> properly. I'm going to eat something good. I'm like, I'm like three kilos under so I can have breakfast. Uh, I've been like real anal with everything. I have some eggs in the morning, just something real good. And yeah, nah, I've, been, I've been doing it properly. Yeah, well, I'm proud of you, man. I'm, Thanks, I'm looking man. forward to seeing it. I'm like, super happy. Like you're, you're an easy guy to get behind, you know I mean? You're an easygoing guy who puts the energy into the right areas. I know your story. I know what all of this means to you. And I'm glad that you get the opportunity to do this. It's now. nice to give back. I'm always happy to help people out as well, you know? Like, I don't feel like you can really get anywhere in life if you just solely focus on, you know? It's not, it's not nice either. Like, I don't gain anything. If I'm just... I'm, look... I'm not perfect. Sometimes I'm selfish and I have those moments, but I have to bring myself back and be like, look, you know what? It's not just about, life isn't just about you. It's about, you know, finding a good group of people and putting that energy. And I'm lucky, lucky to have found, I love coming here, man. Every time I'm here, like I love training with you. I love Ant. Like it's just, it's just a great group. And can rip you oh. about everything. Oh, and man. Man. Ant always rips me. I just, make, <laughs> I just let kick him heaps when we start. <laughs> 
<laughs> and it's like, uh, what was his question? He's like, what's your favourite Randy Marsh moment? Oh. <laughs> but it's, with... it's, it's Lord. It's Lord. Oh, he makes the Lord time. Dude, going on a Wednesday. I can't get, <laughs> I can't get over that, man. Oh, yeah, Lord. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> I just wasn't expecting My brother's like, you need to watch this episode a while. Oh, the transformation <laughs> sequence of him becoming Lord. I just Lord. had the sequences and I had the drums. And I was like, <laughs> It's so good, man. So, it's actually, one of my favorite Randy moments was when he he had to get this, like it was in the World of Warcraft episode. I was just going to say, that's my favorite episode, bro. <laughs> it is a good one. I like the ninja episode as well, but like when he he gets the sword and he's just a noob and they're like, the developers hand him this flash drive that is the sword of whatever, I can't remember. Then he hands, he, he's like, oh, Sword so of a Thousand Truths. Sword of a Thousand. <laughs> it's like, how do you hand an object to another person in game? Our <laughs> Oh. And he's like, ah, it's dad. He's like doing his death scene as he's getting it. Dad, dad. That episode, the ninja one. Oh, bro, that one. Dude, sick. Tally, everything, man. Every time I watch a ninja episode, I get that song stuck in my head. Deck my boss. <laughs> no, and when he, when he had uh, his grappling invitational matchups, he walked out. To protect my balls. Yes. Oh my god. Oh, that's the best thing. What? Hey, hey, let's go, Kinkatsu. Taitatsu no mono, protect my balls. Yeah. Let's fighting love. <laughs> let's fighting love. Oh, oh me and Ab were talking about love. Um, Russell Crowe fighting around the world the other day. <laughs> Come on, Tucker. Let's go find some people to fight. Oh, Randy Marsh, you're like, um, bouncing around on his balls <laughs> when, he gi- when he gives he himself cancer to get medicinal <laughs> marijuana. Just get a little bit of cancer, Stan. Just a little <laughs> bit of cancer. <laughs> oh my god, oh, man. Yeah. It's non-stop, dude. But this is what we talk about in the Academy, man. I remember when I had like um, uh, Fizz on the podcast and shit and we were just talking about like stepbrothers and stuff like that. Fizz is, oh, my Fizz god, is the best, man. man. That dude. Some of that noises Fizzy, man. Ooh. Oh, dude. And I can literally say anything to Evan and he'll laugh. I need him around me as a hype man. Like, he's just a, he's just one of those dudes that every gym needs because he's just a happy, comes, gives you a hug, just always like, be a shit man. And Evan's like, hey man, comes up, like grabs I, your nipple. I have not heard anyone in the industry say a bad word no. about Evan ever, ever. Like, which I, gym did he come from before? Well, he was with us, but he he also trained at United, like okay. Richard Blakestrom yeah. gym, like early on in the piece, and we were sort of like amalgamated at one stage because Richard was allowing us to use his cage on the weekends. That's right, yeah, yeah. And like I coached Richard because well, Ed told me the whole story. Trinity, like you used to use the cage of that muscle shop back in the day, yeah, man, yeah. Planet Max, and also out at um at Port Adelaide, they had like a a weird cage Old with a, with like a through wire. So on the inside layer of the cage, running like parallel to the floor, was another wire of support. So people were like getting hung on it and shit. Yeah. I remember Dave DeConti smashed his head into some lockers that were like on the other side of the cage. The cage didn't have a door. Planet Max was like a tiny cage and shit like that. It's just one like, of those brawling cages. Yeah, it's like <laughs> you're either like in the pocket or you're on the cage. It's in. There's no footwork. It's like the whole regular route of it. Like it's just like yeah, you know, step back and you're on the ropes. It's just everyone's just in the middle punch. I'm like, ah, Those stories are so good. Man. Martial arts grown so much. As I said, I would have probably, I would probably would have done MMA if it was MMA, but it wasn't back in the day. It was just yeah. jujitsu, kickboxing, boxing, Muay Thai. So yeah, there wasn't like a clear avenue nah. for if you wanted to train and fight in MMA. Like you literally, everyone was in the same boat. Yeah. Everyone did have to do it like that. It's it's amazing to see how much martial um, MMA man. It's it's really been the catalyst to make martial arts. 
I was listening, I think it was Joe, like uh, someone on Joe Reagan saying how much martial arts didn't change without all these thousands of years. And then it's just grown so much. But I'm a massive fan of traditional martial arts. Yeah. I like to like throw traditional techniques in. Yeah. I'm sure anyone that's far with me would have got hit with an axe kick or something. Because yeah. I, I just like, I did Taekwondo when I was a kid. Yeah. I love traditional martial arts still, you know. I, I really credit uh, Ken and Ryu for my love of traditional martial arts. <laughs> <laughs> like looking through their bios, what do they do? Shotokan. Yeah. I like the look of that gi and that black belt. It was Bruce Lee, man. First thing, yeah. first thing I ever watched was like, you know, Way of the Dragon and... Um, Big Boss, mm. which Big Boss with a terrible dubbing on his like. <laughs> but even Bruce Lee like broke the mold of yeah, traditional martial arts. He was the living embodiment of the evolution of. And he was the first one that transcended like martial arts, wasn't he? Yeah. He just became this icon. I mean, obviously died so young, but. But it's funny how the idea of traditional martial arts keeps coming up. Mm. Um, you know, I asked Sean D'Ambrosio about his history. I asked Jarek Payne's about his history and like what they would get their kids involved in. Mm. And they all, they both said traditional martial arts yeah. first. And that's from, you know, a jiu-jitsu brown belt and an MMA practitioner. Yeah. So it must hold a place that's near and dear to people's hearts. That's likely why it survived for so long unchanged, you know, martial arts there's a, changed. There's so many good things you can take away, as we've said, like the respect, the tradition, the, mm. the, the honor, the giving back to the community. There's so mm. many good things with traditional martial Obviously, some I don't find super effective. Story Steven yeah. Seagal. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he's going to cop shit because of the way... I don't think that he... Have like, you if you run? Talk, have you run? <laughs> probably if you talk to an Aikido person, yeah. they probably have a similar opinion. It's beautiful if you need to defend us like from a sword. But I mean, that's the thing, it's context. When I talk to Nathan Kane, like we both illuminated each other's understanding of perspective, like where the combat sports is coming from and where traditional martial arts is coming from because he does look at it as traditional martial arts, quote unquote, but his context is not for the cage or for the Mm. ring or for combat sports. Like he's literally... Uh, his upbringing has been through security yeah. and using techniques in real time. And he will tell you straight away that d- differing perspectives from school to school, they're not going to have that same context. 100%. Like, you if you were doing security, I think Krav Maga would be a really applicable yeah. martial yeah. arts because it's and a lot of disarming. Yeah, you know? I would hazard to guess that due to Nathan's um, culture, his preference was for Japanese martial arts, yeah, Japanese traditional martial arts. If he was... Israeli in culture, mm. maybe he would have gravitated yeah. towards Krav Maga because it's a means to an end. Of course. But it's the whole ethos and understanding and idea. You know how like the meditative meditative effects are, are ingrained mm. within Budo and Bushido and things like this is because just like any MMA athlete that you've seen, they're highly temperamental people because they face their own mortality and humility Constantly. every single day. Yeah. And that's very challenging for the ego. So how do you accent that? How do you go around that? It's with introspection. It's yeah. with meditation. It's with understanding. You know, sometimes it's with therapy. But, you know, that's, you know, from the, looking at it from the traditional perspective, it was built in. Yeah. It was built into their martial art. A lot of them meditate before you even start doing technique. 100% they do. I mean, if you're going to go out to battle and face death, that's the context, right? That's, that's why it did survive for so long unchanged because not only was it it a survival. Yeah. Yeah. It was a survival idea. It was a coveted ideal to act respectfully Mm. to your opponents because the consequence of both of your actions was death. Yeah, one of these was going to probably come out of it. You're subscribing to the uh, honorable death. Mm. And that is very appealing to people. You know, it's it's very like... uh, I do love that about the Japanese culture. Yeah, it sort of qualifies the violence. Mm. The the (laughs) honor, it does. It does. The honor qualifies the violence. And that's translated to MMA. I mean, we're... 
you know, you touch gloves, you know, you're respectful. And you know that there's the potential that one of you can get seriously hurt by the other one, but you both signed up for it. There's that. Yeah. I don't care about any like you can't share a fight with someone and not respect the no. other person afterwards, no. man. Like I've had beers after all my fights yeah. with my opponent and like there's a different level of respect that you gain from someone that you've shared those moments with. 100% man. And Bino and Miles Simpson fought for a title. Yeah. And then after that, we all became awesome friends. And now we share this it's awesome beautiful. connection to this day yeah. that has really aided each other's existence that's, in the industry. That's been my favorite thing about SA martial arts. There used to be this like, no, nah, fuck this gym. I'm not going to help. Now everyone's kind of a community. It's like, well, why don't we all band together and like, mess up all these other things? Like, Eventually, we're going to have to, man. We're going to grow too big for our britches, yeah. and that's going to be a really fucking awesome thing to do. And yeah. then things like grassroots development opportunities mm. are going to be really important, like low-pressure amateur development yeah, for I'm MMA. Saying. You know, go to fucking Golden Grove Rec Center or Coast Grove Hall and have three fights in a day. Have yeah. a tournament format that is like, you know, three threes, all padded up, whatever. You know, take the spectacle out of it so mm. you can really make mistakes yeah. with low consequence. Yeah. Like a lot of the amateurs that we have right now, every fucking fight for them is the be all and end all of their existence because every fight they have is under lights. Yeah. Like your, if your first fight as an amateur MMA guy was on Apex yeah. or DFC, that's what you think it is all the time. My second, my second fight, there was like a thousand people there, man. I yeah. walked out and then that's what overawed me mm. that first round. I was just like, just hear all these people cheering and you're like, yeah. fuck. So like, every single time you get matched up from that point onwards, the first thought that goes through your head is, fuck, I have to go through that again. Yeah. And you have, you have to have a little bit of room. Yeah. You've got to have a little bit of room to develop in a low-pressure environment. 100%. They have it in every other sport. Mm. You know, you don't go straight into, like, the Olympics when you're swimming. It's like school, club, state. And the consequences college. are so dire for this sport compared to any, most yeah. other sports, you know? Like, you need to have room to trial and error without the error leading to you quitting entirely. Yeah. Or being unconscious. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I think we're getting there. Yeah, I think I there's think some so. things I'm, on the horizon. One of my favorite things with Trinity was the development program. I really, really love That stood out to me. Like, mm. not brushing people because you'll see, obviously, come from white yeah. I'm not going to name names, but there's no. some people that are just every other week throwing yeah. in, throwing in, throwing in. brain damage is Yeah, not, it's you know a real thing. Man. It's oh. because of that old school mentality. Yeah. And they'll say, that, oh, you know, the Thais have 200 yeah. fights. Well, look, man, we're not in Thailand. Yeah, that's right. And we're not fighting. We're not fighting to support my family. Yeah, exactly. We're not fighting for our rice. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, that's all that they have. And they train differently because of it. I know some, I know some, well, I've seen people that have been knocked out unconscious three weeks later fighting. Mm. Like, come on, man, like yeah. this. You know, it's all good when it's not you, but when you just throw on these people in, like, day after day, it's, I mean, yeah. I personally, I think the way that we do it here at Trinity is the best way I've seen. Yeah, yeah. I love it. Well, all of the stuff I outlined just mm. before is the reason why we do it that way, because these people are people to me. Yeah, man. And they're people I like. Exactly. I want to give them the best possible opportunity to have a positive experience mm -hmm. in martial arts, that's all I can control. Yeah. I can't control win or loss because I know that everyone else from every club is training hard. They've got great coaches, great skills. So I can't guarantee you wins, but what I can try to do is give you the best opportunity to get a positive experience. I think that's all, that's all you want. Win or loss is come and go, man, because, but it's what you can take from those good experiences. Mm. Translate them to your life and just enjoy it, man. It's just about enjoying it. Man. Yeah. I've never enjoyed it more than being in Trinity. So. Nah, that's awesome, man. I'm really glad to hear that. That, that uh, brings a smile to my face because that's our biggest goal. Yeah. It really is our biggest goal. Yes, we want 
the best fighters, but we want, we want the best environment. Yeah. We want the best people around. And some of the people that the club has attracted within the last year, again, I've been very, very proud to have people come back and, and return to this place or choose this place. They choose to visit mm. and then they choose to stay. Yeah. And I'm like, and then, you know, they have some very complimentary things to say about our processes. And I'm like, man. It helps having you as such a like good figurehead because you're so analytical and like you break things down for me. Because I'm a bit dumb when I'm listening to like. You're not that dumb. Yeah, when I'm listening to techniques though, my brain's just always. But like, yeah, you've always got a good way of breaking it down, which is really, really nice. You know, that's yeah, good to have. No, I, I do appreciate that, man. I'm, I will take those compliments. Now. Mm. I used to just. Oh, I'm so bad at compliments. When it's you hard. wrote that paragraph about me, I'm just like, oh, man, I hate, <laughs> hate people saying nice stuff about me. Just pay me out constantly. That's what that's, I'm used to. That's what the whole podcast is about. <laughs> just saying nice things about people uh, and making them feel uncomfortable. <laughs> because isn't that? It's funny that that's rare, yeah. though, right? It's funny that you sit down in front of someone and tell them good things about them. Yeah. Like, Do you know how fucked in my in my mind? I'm like, that's fucked. Yeah, that's fucked. That's not like a normal everyday occurrence. Because because of me, like I I push myself by like you know whipping myself. I'm like, you're not doing this right. You're not doing this. You need to do this more. And that's how I push myself. But I really am starting to be like, all right, you need to you know be nice to yourself sometimes. <laughs> Give yourself one day a week where you say positive things. Yeah. You know, that's good, man. That's good. It's all just landing, man. Yeah. I mean, wow. I'm still young. I'm only 27, so I'm still figuring it out. Yeah. We'll How get there. Then? Fuck you. <laughs> wow. How old's your neck? Oh, oh, how old's my whole body? Yeah. Our necks are like, your neck and my neck are currently like hanging out on a porch <laughs> somewhere. Ghost. Like, like they're, they're hanging out on a porch somewhere, like wearing bifocals, <laughs> like they've got a, a walking frame in front of them and they're reminiscing about the old days as the sun sets and they're sort of having like an adjunct conversation where one says one thing and the other says another thing and they don't quite match up. That's what our necks are currently oh, doing. Oh, man. What's they're in the twilight of their, their greater years. I've just got to try and enjoy these next few years, try and get as many fights in and just, yeah, I'm always going to train, but I have set a limit for, you know, getting punched in the head. There's definitely a, an amount of, because you don't want to keep studying, man. There is... Yeah. Yeah, I just want to enjoy it while I'm young, pretty much. In and out, man. Have an exit plan. That's exactly. that's something that young fighters don't get to hear too yeah. much. And, and I try to break it down for them. Like, if you give yourself... I mean, it does hit them. But yeah. if you give yourself a five-year window, yeah. right? So you enter into this five years at a certain aptitude level. And your goal within that five years is to fight consistently, um, reach a certain level, and then... You know, you're not going to be working in that time frame. Mm. You're not going to be gaining uh, any type of savings in that time frame as well. Uh, possibly your your social life's going to suffer in that. That's your five year window where you're going to enter into, and then upon that time lapsing, you may exit out of. Have that as a point where you can give yourself the option to exit out. Mm. And what is the qualifier for you staying in? Right. Am I at a point now where I can make monetary gain and sustain a life by taking the next step in my fighting career? Or did I get injured too heavily? Mm. You know, were setbacks too prevalent that I am now in a hole and I don't think I'm going to be able to reach the goals that I plan to? What in and around the industry can I maintain? Yeah. You know, am I going to be a commentator? Am I going to be a coach? Am I going to um, you know, parlay into one specific area? Maybe I just want to do jiu-jitsu and then I start think- building money again. You know, like have a, an exit strategy yeah. that keeps you in the art but takes the urgency away from your progression because yeah. if you live in oppression 
indefinitely, it's it going to be, be very deteriorating. Yeah. yeah, I think definitely, like, I'd love to coach one day, just mm. to start running, just to give back, you know. I'd like also, I've thought about, re- like, train up to, like, referee. Mm. I think that would be pretty cool, like, cool way to, it's always will be involved. It's so good for my mental health. Yeah, I can see you being in and around yeah. the industry in some format, whether it's an MMA, whether it's a Muay Thai, whatever. Or whatever it's like, <laughs> it could be, I mean, you might look back and go, fuck, I want to... I want to help the Muay Thai. So yeah. Like I want to help them. You know yeah. what I mean? Like I've I've had offers myself to go coach somewhere else, mm. go live in other states and yeah. other countries and things like that, just to you know be a you know, be a coach, be a head coach mm. in this academy. But I want to build something here yeah. that we haven't had before, and I feel like it's, it's if I stick it out, it's happening. Yeah, yeah. yeah. like exactly. I can see it happening, yeah. and I'm like, all right, eventually, you know, again, I've retired from mm. professional fighting. Eventually, I'm going to be at the stage where I step aside from being the head coach, yeah. and at that point in time, it's going to be the best, uh, best opportunity for progression that our club has ever seen, that mm. our state has ever seen. When it, when it gets to that point, because I'll be obsolete. Yeah, that's what I'm training for. Mm. I'm I'm coaching. I'm working really hard right now to make myself obsolete. Mm. I want every single person that uh, stepping into a coaching role who's been learning from me to be as good as me and better well, if I'm not that. aiming to do that then I'm not aiming to well, do John that John Danaher said the same thing he was talking about Gordon Ryan's like recent injury and he's just like I've taught Gordon Ryan Gordon Ryan knows more than me now he's like and that's what you want to progress as a yeah. coach you want your students to know more about it. it's just a progression it's always yeah. you see that with MMA you know I was watching old MMA fights the other day and like how good the debuting fighters are now. It's yeah. The level is just... And, and that's just progression in life. Everyone yeah. should get better. Yeah, as it, it, it takes people to step aside. 100%. Yeah. It, it takes a little bit of foresight to yeah. know when to when to leave it out. And I'd love to give that authority to someone else. Like, mm. let's say, you know, I'm the head MMA coach right now, which makes me coord- a coordinator. Mm. Right? So I put people in charge of specific classes to get the most out of them because I know that's their greatest skill set, like Jay Chenoweth, like Marchin, like Ant, um, you know, like Dan Dwyer and Manasseh, like and Matt Bard and Daniel Turner. All of these people are in these positions because I feel that's where they're best suited to be. That's where their current best skill set is. You have to have humility to do that though. You have to look at, like, step aside and be like, all right, he's really good at that part. I'm going to put him here. Like if you're a head coach and you're like letting your ego drive you too much, you're like, nah. You put yourself in everything. Exactly. I, I can easily oversaturate mm. myself, you know, um, taking every wrestling session, every fundamental. Then you'll just burn out. And yeah, and I will. And it'll, it'll be uh, detrimental for the students. 100%. It will be unbeneficial because then they won't get the perspective learning that is so important. Exactly. Things that I say and the way that I say them may not resonate with everyone. In fact, they can't. They can't they possibly they resonate. Shouldn't, shouldn't just learn everything from other. Everyone's got a different mind. And everyone's going to have... That's the beauty of martial arts. I think you need you can take something from everyone. Mm. Yeah. So I think it's going to be good when, you know, let's say a new the new generation steps through. Tim Rogers, Jake Chenoweth, when they step through to the head coach position mm-hmm. and they've placed me in the position where my best attributes can maximize and benefit everyone in the academy. Maybe I'm too fucking old and broken <laughs> to be wrestling every day. So they take me off the wrestling, they put Ryan there mm. and they put me in the fundamental, fundamental jiu-jitsu yeah. or they put me in like maybe the advanced jiu-jitsu where yeah. I can teach people advanced tactics and they can streamline my best efforts to benefit the group. Just be John Danaher sitting on the sidelines. Yes. 
That's <laughs> likely where I'm headed. Likely where I'm headed. But you can see what I'm yeah, saying. Yeah, of course. Right? It's a natural like, progression, yeah. isn't it? And in order for the system to work, yeah. it has to be that way. You have to have the minds mm. that can think in that format. Exactly. And if you don't, you're either going to stagnate or you're going to yeah. destroy yourself. 100%. You just, yeah, you'll stagnate, go style, and then that'll be it. Yeah. Well, I, I really do believe in that process. and I believe in Trinity. Yeah. yeah. I, I think it's, it's, yeah, there's a lot of exciting times coming for everyone. Yeah, there certainly is. And there's just a lot of good people around yeah, 100%. there. There's a, people walk through those doors every single day. Everyone's and happy. I'm so happy to have yeah. you. I'm glad. I'm so glad I've met so many good people here. And yeah, I think I've forged a lot lifelong bonds with everyone here and it's great to see that's the best thing about martial arts I can talk about any topic that I like I can be my absolute self in the academy and I can be absolutely fine the only thing I have to like stray away from sometimes is like talking about 5G when Lee's around (laughs) if I start talking conspiracy theories when Lee's around he gets really in depth with it and he starts bringing up like the 1988 like I, I think <laughs> security act cyber security act that's now defunct I've know? got a very dark sense of humour so luckily the whole fight team has a dark sense of humour <laughs> so I just pick and choose obviously in the group classes you can't like <laughs> stand on the shit we say but we'll just oh keep that we'll keep that to when it's not being recorded I've been picked up so many times like Tess Tess has had to drill me over this Natalie's oh. had to pull me in line Mike's had to pull me in line because there's those crossover times where you, you wait until like, I bring my new Rashi to the, <laughs> I've got the Craig Jones <laughs> Rashi but it's either like before like, so there's an advanced MMA class happening and then there's a class happening after it or there's a class happening before advanced and that segue between you know there's still some yeah. fundamental <laughs> students hanging around and then the advanced crews and they're all, we're all blowing off steam before the session and I'm saying some of the most hardcore shit you've heard a human say and so is everyone else mind you oh, of course but like you don't <laughs> the best ones Taylor the best one oh one. my god I need, to, I need to chill the fuck out on Taylor man I've said some some of the worst thi- like Taylor. why have I kid. and you know this keeps happening man I must have this elusive illusionary line that, that I don't understand is there where every time I say a joke I don't get a complete laugh I get like a oh, oh, you know you towed the line a little bit with uh, that what what, what? Oh, uh, that's where you draw the line okay oh well, I don't understand anything anymore I think my sense of humour has been always been the thing that's got me through bad shit and I've always <laughs> been able to laugh and like look at the positive side no matter what happens and I think it's a it's a good thing to have a sense of humor. So. It's like the secret ingredient in the martial arts community yeah. as well. Like it, it's a hard life, man. Oh, we're one hundred percent punching each other in the face. <laughs> if we can't have some humility and have some fun whilst yeah. we're doing it, then we won't. Exactly, and we won't. We'll be fucking training becomes robotic. Man. Yeah, and and it'll be adversarial yeah, as well. Exactly. I've, I've seen gym beefs before, oh, man, but I've all, seen it get there. resolved through very innocuous, yeah. very like laid back chilled scenarios like I've seen people get really narky with each other sometimes man we're all fucking alpha dudes trying to like you know get the best like you know it's gonna happen like and then later on in the day someone will crack a joke that the other guy overhears and he's like fuck that was funny and then he has to relent he has to relent that no this country is actually a good person and look man just what it is is people show up for each other Exactly. every single day there's no egos here man and that's a that's a brilliant thing because you know you won't learn if you've got a big ego mm. if you think you know everything you you think you're the shit no matter what, this translates to anything in life you, yeah. you, you just won't learn you won't progress you're going to stay at this spot I'm the best 
And that's cool, man, if that's your life, but that's not how I want, I want to be constantly yeah. learning and improving. I'm glad that we've been able to afford that too, and I'm really yeah. glad that you chose to walk in the doors at Trinity and that, that you chose to stay, and so I can I'm see on. it, sky's the limit, man, we're yeah. working towards it right now. Beautiful. So, we're moving towards the end of the podcast now, is there anyone you'd like to thank? Ah, oh, just every, everyone that's been in my martial arts journey, man, from like all my people at Aruda, obviously Luke, Patty, Gorilla, my girlfriend, everyone here at Trinity, just everyone that's been a part of the journey, man, it's just, life's a beautiful thing, and I'm happy to keep on rolling. Awesome, man. Thank you so much. Thanks for Look, having me, though. I'll probably have to do Gorilla Cast at some point. You yeah. guys asked me to come on, and I'm like, I couldn't translate to you at that point in time how time poor I actually am. It's so hard with me and Patty, because obviously Patty lives in Gula. He's working. Like, I work night shift and like full time now, like managing. So it's just. You, it's been you're hard. just gonna have to bring the rig and set up down yeah. to Trinity. That's yeah. the only way it's gonna happen. We, we, we can do it mobile. We'll figure it out. Yeah. I'd love to do it too. Yeah, it'd be good. All right, thank you so thank much. Thank you for having me, Nick. Please stay tuned because we're going to be back, same bat time, same bat channel for all the bat fans out there.